Welcome to One or Two Hundred, the Independent Media and Politics Podcast. We're here for a midweek podcast uh, with my co-host Justine. How are you doing, Justine? Fabulous as always. How are you, Carl? Oh, you know, pretty, pretty great. And uh, a really special guest to talk about a range of uh, things, but specifically around the recent Allied uh, health worker strikes uh, that have been happening over the last few weeks. Uh, we're joined by Will Matthews, the DHB campaigns organizer for PSA. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Will. Kia ora, happy to be here. I think one of the, the first things that I just wanted to kick us off with for anyone uh, in our audience who isn't aware of, of what's currently happening, if you could just take us through, I guess, why even who uh, uh, is covered um, when we talk about health workers or, or the health workers that are working with the PSA. Yeah, so I think I think it's a good place to start because the, the full uh, name of this workforce and the collective agreement we have them under is the Allied Public Health Scientific and Technical uh, Workforce, and that's over ten thousand people, uh, the biggest uh, single um, collective agreement in the PSA, uh, and that's over seventy professions. I think there's about one hundred and twenty professions, but seventy that we're sure of. Uh, and so, if you think of any health care professional that's not a doctor a nurse a midwife or a um like a clerk uh that's probably an allied health worker so uh, you know our big uh, groups are social workers dietitians physios speech language therapists uh, occupational therapists but we also cover groups like clinical engineers and alcohol and drug uh clinicians and sterile supplies technicians and orthotists um, i don't know quite what that is but there is an enormous range of professions here and um it's quite incredible to look at and understand quite how deeply they kind of permeate into our health system so well take us through what's been happening i know that this um these negotiations negotiations have been ongoing for a long time um so yeah take us through the negotiations and where there you're currently at with them we started negotiating on the 27th of october 2020 and i remember that date because it was my birthday um, <laughs> happy birthday fan- fantastic <laughs> birthday present and it's been uh almost 19 months and we're still going so when we started those negotiations uh we we're just kind of coming out of um the first round of lockdowns um and very soon after we started negotiating, the government or the public uh, sector put in the uh, public sector wage restraints. And we were actually sitting in bargaining <laughs> when that was announced. Um, so we had to cut that short. Uh, so that uh, was just effectively boxing the bargaining in from the very beginning with these incredibly for, narrow parameters. For people who, um, like me, can't remember that far back because two years of COVID have basically happened since and it's stretched out to a thousand years. Uh, what was the public um, service wage restraint? So uh, the PSC, Public public Sector, Public Services Commission, you should probably know that, um, came out and said because of the enormous financial impact of COVID, we are having to put guidelines in place to, um, to govern what uh, um, what pay increases are going to look like, what bargaining is going to look like for public servants for the foreseeable future. Uh, and what it did was restrict the amount of money that the government would be putting on the table for public service workers to a very small amount. 
uh, the idea was that it would prioritize lower paid workers. Um, so the highest paid in the public service would uh, go without and all bargaining would be focused around those low paid workers, but also around kind of enabling pay equity settlements as well. I remember so, those days well, because <laughs> um, actually, uh, yeah, no, a whole host of public uh, sector employees that includes nurses, teachers, um, you know, were all included in that. And we were all, a lot of us were in bargaining at the time. So, yep, good times. So that was an, that was an enormous outcry and, and the mm. government actually ended up walking back on some of it. But, you know, subsequently, 18 months later or whatever, and we have very low paid people still holding out for a pay increase here. Um, we found out recently that over 12,000 public servants earning over $100,000 have got pay increases since um, those guidelines came in. So they've been uh, working incredibly well uh, when it comes to restraining people earning less and not very well when it comes to uh, actually their stated purpose. So, right. So these um, guidelines came in, they froze pay. So immediately putting on the back foot and bargaining because it was no longer possible, uh, essentially, to bargain for higher pay. Uh, it was just outside the realms of what uh, the public service was admitting was possible. And now, you know, a year and a half later, it turns out that it didn't really apply to the entire workforce anyway, uh, where it was expedient for it not to. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. Fantastic. Oh, and look, in, in, in these allied health professions, you know, we, we have people that are kind of earning in the 60, 70, 80K. Those people are still earning between five and $7,000 less a year than uh, what a nurse would earn. And, and I mean, nurses deserve every cent of that, but allied health <laughs> workers deserve uh, the same pay too. But if you look at like our sterile supplies technicians or our Hawada Māori workers who are like an exclusively Māori group of cultural support workers... Uh, they are only just making above the minimum wage. And the only pay increase they've had uh, for years now has been when the minimum wage has gone up because every time the minimum wage goes up, one of the steps on our collective agreement becomes illegal for being under it. So we, I mean, we've talked a lot about how uh, a shift supervisor at KFC earns about $3 more an hour than those professions and also people like dental assistants. So... Uh, I think for me, it kind of uh, speaks against the idea that the PSA is like a white collar union, um, which I think is an idea that's centered on you know, people sitting in ministry buildings in Wellington and ignores the fact that we do have these genuinely working class people struggling uh, in the health system. So, well, like, I guess my question is like, we've, we're 18 months into negotiations. Um, we've got a health, I mean, what what is the state, like, I mean, I can speak... I think we can all speak to the state of the healthcare system, but what is the state of allied health? I mean, is it doing well? <laughs> is it like, um, you know, uh, uh, are we facing the it. same issues that we have in the other like parts of the health system? Yeah, we got a sterile uh, sciences, there was a couple of sterile um, sciences technicians and these, these people um, clean and sterilize all surgical equipment before it's used in surgery. So it's like quite an important job. Uh, who are reporting vacancies of 50 to 66% in their departments. And, you know, of those 50% of people, half of them are 
trainees so can't actually do most of it um and that's because they can get paid more at bunnings or kfc so why train as a healthcare worker and then if you're a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist health agencies in australia offering like thirty thousand dollars more in australian dollars uh as a starting rate and so that sometimes their starting rates are higher than the top step on our scale so now people are going to australia uh it's it's a, it's a debacle. It's a crisis, uh, and we're just moving steadily towards like a deep, deep uh, crisis in the healthcare sector. What in terms of um, the strike action? So, what is like? What do you? What are they? What is the ask for? Yeah. So our, our bottom line is just an increase that keeps uh up with the rising cost of living and we're now looking at the cost of living since october 2020 so it's getting up there mm, 6.9 percent last time i joked yeah um it's, it's thousands and thousands of dollars and, and the offer so far is thousands of dollars below that i mean we got given an offer in november our members like roundly rejected that we went into facility, uh, mediation in February, uh, got given another offer that was rejected. We went out on strike and the DHBs injuncted us in the employment court so we couldn't have that strike. Uh, then that led to facilitated bargaining with the Employment Relations Authority. Uh, they've released a set of recommendations that are confidential, but that we would accept. We think that's a good enough offer. Uh, and the, and we, the DHBs have refused to make an offer that's consistent with those recommendations. So that's why we went on strike on Monday, uh, two days ago, and now we're bouting for more strike action um, because they're still refusing. So it is it is messy. Really, we're looking for a cost of living increase. It's like, it just actually really boggles the mind because like, it feels like an actual act of self-destruction in terms of the state of our healthcare system to be doing, to, to treat healthcare workers like this, um, you know, and like, it's not just, I mean, like, and it really is like across the board because like we're talking about allied health now, but um, the government just released, uh, well, the government's, um, you know, because the care and, for, um, care and support workers in aged care, um, they um their their pay equity settlement basically expired this year so we've been negotiating for um a increase for them and the government's just come out with a 70 cents uh three percent 2.5 to three percent increase for them which is far below the like actual cost of living which is 6.9 percent as i was just saying less so than these, the cost of a banana yeah so 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 these are workers that literally keep like they they are looking after vulnerable elderly people. You you already have huge staffing shortages in the sector. We have like a crisis of like the standard of care. We have just it's just like a it's just yeah. And then you know this is the like attitude of the government towards these essential workers. I mean we've seen it with the nurses now, with the work, nurses and healthcare assistants. Now we're, we're seeing it in aged care. Now we're seeing it in allied health. And you just like it's seriously. There's not enough words to be said really about about it. I, I can't. <laughs> It's also, I, um, it's also just the sheer irrationality of it. Yeah. Um, it's like there must be something, some ego getting in the way here because you're right, it is so self-destructive uh, and this bureaucracy and these policies and this politics is just getting in, 
uh, in the way of what any sane person can see is just a really obvious solution. It's just pay them more. We're not asking for something unreasonable. You know, it's just not sustainable as well. You can't have like a, um, a someone being able to go to Australia and as a beginner earn 30,000 more in Australian dollars. Like Australia is not that far away. This is the, like, have we forgotten? It's really close. You can just yeah. go there. And borders are open now, right? Like, <laughs> so, and we're not really getting people in yet to fill any of those gaps, which has been the um, supposed goal of opening the borders has been to get in like more cheaper workforce yeah. and like flood the market that's not happening how gross is that how gross is that that that's your plan it's like, like we're, we're going to exploit migrant workers that's the plan and i think i think my experience as a health organizer has shown me one thing it's that that i i see a lot of very young passionate people who are two or three years out of training i see a lot of very old ex, old older experienced people um and then there's no one in the middle. And it's because those older experienced people, the people who have either clung on or are kind of from a time where it was better. Uh, and those young people are going to get three or four years in, burn out and leave the sector or leave the country. So we're effectively, uh, our health system relies on low skill and low wage um, workers. Uh, and and the kind of migrant labor is a huge part of that. But now borders are opening up all over the world. You can get paid tens of thousands of dollars more if you just go to another country four hours away. Uh, and so we can no longer rely on um, less experienced uh, people coming into New Zealand to prop up our healthcare system. It's I mean, just an endless cycle of churn and turnover mm. that has been sustaining our healthcare system for however long. And it's a real problem, right? Because like you, it means that you don't have the leadership and the like. You do have people who have clung on, as you say, but like that middle layer of leadership, of experience, of mentorship that's just missing. I mean, like you have very junior people in charge of very important things in the mm. healthcare system because you just don't have leadership because that that's gone. Like that's been ripped out of the the system. Yeah, it's like 22, 23 year olds being uh, shift coordinators in a in a mental health inpatient unit, and some of these, some of them are incredible and just like incredibly hardy, staunch nurses. But you shouldn't have to do that, um, you know, two or three years out of uni. You should be considered yeah. an experienced nurse at that point. I mean, we're going to get political, so feel free to say I'm taking off my PSA hat. <laughs> when, if you want to if you want to make any commentary about like is this what you'd expect of a labor government <laughs> like is this like is this like you know we've got a andrew little is a former union lawyer he worked for the engineering union and um he keeps saying that a lot he says that a lot in his interviews i like it i'm a former union lawyer i'm like okay act like it cool well john key used to talk a lot about how he grew up in the state house right mm. Um, I think I think my experience from this campaign and as an organizer has and and as someone who has been very involved in party politics for a decade now has been that um, the union movement is the only movement that will create fundamental change to the lives of New Zealanders. Um, and 
is the union movement's influence on party politics that will create that change rather than party politics itself. How do we get to that point? How, how, why, you know, you're talking about that it was a systemic problem. You entered bargaining uh, 18, 19 months ago to try and solve some of these like long-standing issues. And we've got a majority Labour government, um, party politics aside, like there's some very clear solutions to this. There are some very clear problems that needed to be solved with, with relatively easy ways to solve them. And it sounds like they're going out of their way to, to put the boot in, basically, not, not just to drive a hard bargain or to uh, make you work for it, but to be antagonistic about it. I mean, you shouldn't be making uh, burnt-out healthcare workers, um, you know, work for it. Like, to be honest, like, I think you've picked, like, they've picked the wrong, like, the DHBs and the Ministry of Health and, you know, the government, the Minister of Health. Um, it's it's just the wrong workforce to fuck with, I, like, in my experience. Well, it's like, what, what are the most trusted professions in New Zealand? <laughs> so two, two of them are teachers and uh, healthcare workers, and NZEI are in court at the moment over there, um, Back actually back pay just like nurses uh and we've got this uh with allied health at the moment so it's like you're working your way through the list of the most trusted professions in the country that is just bad politics and um and you know this is like hundreds of thousands of working people who are basically um being told you know to to um to fuck off <laughs> like you know yeah, for, I- I mean, you know, for fair pay increases in a time of like unprecedented instability, you know, cost of living increases, these aren't like huge demands as well. Like, I mean, not that I wouldn't support huge demands, like let's, you know, working class people deserve the world, but these are like, this is like, hey, can you pay us so the system functions? So we can get in, a, you know, that's what it is. That's what the, that's, you know, and it's the same with all, it's, it's the same with teachers, the same with nurses, the same with allied health. It's the same with um, caregivers. It's like, it's, it's just insane. I mean, that's got to be several hundred thousand people if you're looking and at voters. what, 40,000 nurses, 10,000. 55,000 nurses. Yeah. So 150,000 teachers, I think. Um, yeah. So that's over 200,000 before you get their healthcare, their uh, care and support workers in. So that's a, and then all of their friends and family. family. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. And people who just think it's not good to treat them that way. So you're getting and up there in terms of the electorate. Of course, the parents of the teachers, the patients of the nurses, you know, because mm-hmm. like, because I think we've all, I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I think, I think the problem with health is that a lot of people want to believe that they'll never need it which um which is i think why this has been ignored for as long as it has um uh you know i don't know i because like i mean i I can say like from my perspective that this is something that's been we've been trying to get like health health care workers have been trying to get on the agenda for a very very long time um you know and it's and the successive governments that have failed and i think it's really important to like remember that as well um you know um so 
but the thing is like I think there's this idea that oh well you know I'm healthy I mean I don't know what like <laughs> people seem to think they'll never need healthcare or something I don't know it's like not their problem um and I think that's changing with the pandemic which is really good like people are paying more attention to the healthcare system and thinking like oh I might actually need you know need healthcare I don't think that's true in so okay. far as they, they don't support healthcare workers for this reason right like no no I think most people like if you if you run into a random person in the street and you told them the numbers, like this is what the, the state of the the situation is for healthcare workers, they'd say, what the hell? They, they would be shocked. And, and I mean, that's that's why it's almost um, so easy to run a campaign like this, because I know they say never read the comments, but like if you're running this campaign, then read the comments because everybody is uh, in On support side. because it's healthcare workers. And you know, even when you're like talking to uh, like Mike Hosking or other right wing <laughs> people, even they're like, well, yeah, we should probably pay healthcare workers and it's a chance to have a crack at the government. So, of course, yeah. It's just, I, I have not encountered any opposition in the public sector to this campaign, which is quite, quite refreshing. You want to take us through a quick like numbers breakdown of, of what is the current situation? Like, where, where are healthcare workers at? And where, at the end of campaign, or where, where should they be? You're testing my recall of the collective agreement. <laughs> I can make it's... the sound way smoother, <laughs> like post edit, than it sounds right now. So no, don't... no, you, you, you can include all the umming and ahhing. Uh, look, I mean, at the moment, um, for allied health workers, we have some barely making above the minimum wage. They have very few opportunities for wage progression if they're one of our lowest paid workers. Uh, a bit higher up the scale, we have people making five to seven thousand dollars less than their nursing colleagues uh, with the same experience, or even if they are more qualified, uh, and they are leaving for tens of thousands of dollars more in Australia. Um, what we need is for these positions to be attractive, uh, so we can both recruit to those positions and retain them. Uh, and that will be good for New Zealand because we will have more uh, experienced and qualified health workers who are better paid. And, and be fed for our, and living and, in houses. And, yeah. And it'll be good for our members because they will be fed and living in houses and <laughs> um, not Ugh. working a second job that pays more on an hourly rate as a bouncer at a bar. Uh, and they will also not be burning out every single day because they won't have uh, 60% vacancies in their workplace <laughs> you know the way that um the president of NZNO and Daniels describes it is going to work not going into healthcare every day not having enough people to do what you need to do to keep people safe it's a moral injury as well as like being too busy and being burnt out and it it really takes its toll psychologically on people um you know there's just so much at stake and it just like it says so much about our society about what we value like as you say well like I'm not saying you know, don't get me wrong, being a bouncer at a club, very important job, very important job. I've been thrown out of many clubs in my life. And <laughs> I need, that needed to happen. We need bouncers um, to keep yeah, just in exactly. the clubs. We need, yeah. we need bouncers. Um, <laughs> but I think undeniably, as, as much as we can, like, just recognize the importance of bouncers, someone making sure that people have clean, sterile equipment where they are opening humans up and doing operations that is an essential thing if we want to have a functioning society. And I think like we really need to take, like, I, I think, that, I think it's really new, like New Zealanders 
need to really take a pause and say like what has happened because we are worse than uh, many other like countries in the OECD this is really really bad and people okay you know it's it's hard to say this without people thinking like you're overreacting because like you never want to really say this but people are getting hurt people are not getting the care Mm. they need people are dying that's true yeah, um, so, I, I mean, I've got a member who's a social worker, and actually just going back to a point you are making before about um, stopping someone on the street. When, before I became a DHB organiser, I didn't have the first clue about our health system, and they sat me down on my first day, and they're like, what do you know about the DHBs? And I was like, oh, am I going to be going into GP's offices? And they're like, oh. <laughs> um, but anyway, so <laughs> I, I did not, I never thought about a um, social worker as being a healthcare worker uh for instance because because it was just you know something that i associated obviously with mental health and well-being but not necessarily with the healthcare system and even like you know a physio who i would visit because i have terrible ankles from years of playing football on cold hard english asphalt um you know i I, you know i'd go see a physio and i'd acknowledge that a physio is really important i wouldn't necessarily think about it as a healthcare worker because when you think of healthcare workers you think about doctors and nurses and midwives and and people like that but when you stop people and you're like right not only is it all of these people that you recognize like social workers and physios because you've seen them all before there are also people who when your like life-saving piece of machinery breaks they get called up and they come and fix it and they save your life and those are clinical engineers and that allied stuff it's like like mind blown because there are all of these parts of the healthcare system that you just do not think about existing but uh if any one of them falls over then everything collapses on top of it and uh, that is allied health like that is a group of 120 professions and many of them if you removed them then everything would fall over on top of it uh and and it is um it is ludicrous that things have got this bad for them that was another question that I started to answer and I've forgotten it. <laughs> I've forgotten it. I think we've both, we've all forgotten it. That's fine. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, um, it goes up to like, I, I think the philosophy that I like, I mean, not a philosophy, just material reality though, actually. Um, workers make the world go round, you know, and we've really seen that with the pandemic. We've seen like, you know, like the, the whole term essential, right? It's like whose labor actually makes mm society function and it's just you know just like big as belief and I think that's why we wanted to have you on because like we one is like you know like people need to know about this because it impacts them because as because as we talked about like these people aren't there you don't get your life-saving surgery or what I don't know like you know like there's so much that doesn't won't happen that so like people you know people falling through the system it's already happening and we have to stop it and it's not good enough and We've had, you know, the Labour government's been in power since 2017. These issues have been going on, as we said, like successive governments. I mean, like, you really can't undersell how much National um, yeah. did not help the situation whatsoever. After, you know, n- I mean, and they, they, this government is absolutely dealing with uh, issues in, that they yeah. inherited from the last government. And, but I mean, to an extent, after five years, that can't be an excuse anymore. Well, this is like, what I mean as well about it. Like, it's not even just that uh you know labor are saying oh it's all national's fault it's they're actively going out of their way to make this difficult for our workers uh and for the unions yeah like you know they could they could do this grudgingly or say like all right this is tough to do 
um, while still meet like your base, your base ask. And you know, I take, think, yeah. Take, I, taking off my PSA hat and I'm now Will Matthews, citizen of New Zealand. Uh, I think I think that uh, the, this this government has bought into the um, or fallen for the machinery and the process and the bureaucracy of government too much. And I, I mean, I don't know if that's something that usually happens in your third term or whatever, but there are now all of these rules and procedures and boundaries and some of which they've placed on themselves and some of which they just clearly think are sacred cows that they can't break. And they are allowing that to be a barrier between them and paying health workers fairly. And and I think it's just that like, uh mysticism around the like yeah the, the sacredness of of mm. the 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 cogs and gears of government are, are now getting in the way and actually they just need to slaughter some of those sacred cows and someone needs to step up and be like you know what screw it i'm just gonna pay these health workers fairly because that is the right thing to do i think well, it's just the leadership the... will <laughs> maybe just the like and right thing to do not only in a moral sense but because if you don't do it, we're fucked. Yeah, we're fucked. Well, for me, it's what it is, is like, I think and this really pisses me off. And I think um, the media and, as I said, like the rest of the political system bar the Green Party are absolutely complicit in it. Is it's all um, about... Māori Party. Māori Party, sorry, te pāti Māori. Um, uh, yeah, damn it. Pākehā this podcast moment. brought to you by the Māori Party. Pāti <laughs> Māori. <laughs> um anyways but it's 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 like kicking the can down the road we've had all these like fucking institutional infrastructure like the deficit left by 40 years of neoliberalism 40 years of prioritizing um not taxing wealth of letting wealth accumulate in the hands of the you know the few of posting these supposed surpluses which were actually deficits in the public service and in our communities and all the shit is hitting the fan and i you know to some extent like okay like i think some some government ministers must feel a bit sorry for themselves i get the impression andrew little is feeling a bit sorry for himself because <laughs> he's Green, got some he, he's got a real hard job right yeah. and also the minister the ministry of health are awful yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and they are more responsible for anyone else about that uh, for the absolute nightmare we're in but the, you know if if you're a cabinet minister you're there to make difficult decisions and um, you, you, you just got to make them. Sometimes yeah. you need to tell your ministry to, um, to, yeah. to go back to the NHS and go do something yeah. there. Well, this, is, see, this is a, like <laughs> the thing with, um, I mean, it's one of those differences between Labour and National, which isn't often talked about, is National will absolutely pull their ministry up and tell them to do something horrific. But they'll be like, no, sorry, we are going to fuck over beneficiaries and you're going to do it. And we don't care about the machinery of government. Um, but, you know, and as for the worst, it's, it's like a bad societal uh, action to occur. But Labour, I can't remember the last time that they've really done anything like that. You know, I think some ministers have tried. I will say, like, because um, I did this as part of my master's, um, it's very interesting how our ministries have been set up and who is in leadership positions. And a lot of it actually is the legacy of Rogernomics um, mm. that you really cannot, like, understate. Um, but any 
any Labor government that really wants to tackle these big issues has to face that head on. Like you can't just say, oh, I'm going to try circumvent it or anything. You, you know, you need the public service. And I think people get kind of like upset about this. They're like, oh, don't bash public servants. I just want to be clear. We are not talking shit on our hardworking and glorious public servants who, as I said, make the world go around. We're talking about like the top level. We're talking about at a leadership level, right? You're talking yeah, about- no, a, None of those guys are union members. Yeah, like, yeah, don't worry. This isn't like PSA members. Yeah, these are, these are definitely you. bosses and not yeah. workers. I just want yeah. to be very so clear we'll, about that. We've actually got you on the program to talk shit about your members. So how do you- <laughs> <laughs> no. um, Anyway, so yeah, just to be clear, like we're not talking about your average public servant who is beautiful and amazing and we love you and join and the has- PSA. And isn't able to, to actually yeah, take action. It doesn't actions. have that kind of power. Um, we're talking about leadership. And, um, you know, like everybody understands that the direction of the way that ministries are on pub- the public service is political. Roger, Roger Douglas understood that. And um, it feels like something that's actually been ignored in a little, in, in many ways. And that's been a huge impediment to progress but yeah like back to my back to the point about the minister though you know i think i i, I get that the minister like the the, the um, ministries are you know like will put roadblocks in the way but i keep coming back to this like okay but these problems aren't going to solve themselves you cannot ignore them you cannot ignore them and people are getting you know it's, it's it's impacting i think the other thing you have to remember is it really impacts our social cohesion when someone spends 20 hours at an ed their faith in 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 the government, in the in the hospital system, in a lot of things, that's a negative, that's a very negative experience. When someone has a heart attack in the hallway of a hospital because there's not a bed, that is not something that they're gonna forget. You know, yeah, I, I, I mean I've, if they got... make it through, right? Like and, yeah. and that's not a given. That that's no, why this yeah. is so horrific. Yeah, but I'm saying like, yeah, totally. But like the survivors, you know, like people who go through the health care system, people who go through public services experiencing that. This is eroding trust yeah and for their friends and family as well right of and course. people who know them i mean yeah anyway sorry will what were you well, gonna and, say and i've got a delegate who's a mental health social worker in a um child and adolescent mental health service and they are so understaffed that um they cannot even get through their daily lists of their most acute patients uh, and there was a point a few years ago where they had a string of suicides which is just like tragic young people um and it was because they couldn't get to them because they didn't have enough staff to literally make those calls every day Uh, and then there were kind of advocates in New Zealand coming out and blaming the staff for letting down um these these young people and actually you know what we need to do is those advocates who are incredibly passionate about the work they do we need to be pointing them towards the source of the problem, which is 40 years of chronic underfunding and neoliberalism in the healthcare sector. And let's not forget there was Roger Douglas who created the DHBs as they exist today. Um, and the um, and, well, and this government is currently unpicking that. And I mean, I think, you know, my view is there's, there's not a lot that this government has done that I could look at and say that was bad. But there's been a lot that they've done that I look at and say that's good, but it could be way better. Um, and and I think I think that is the fundamental thing that has led me to believe that actually party politics is only capable of creating change with the union movement leaning very very heavily on it, um, because you do not have that incentive to uh, create fundamental change while you're constantly um, being drawn to the middle. 
You had a strike on uh, Monday. Uh, what was the decision around uh, taking that strike action? Uh, how did we get to that uh, particular uh, state of affairs? Uh, and how were the last couple of days? I have an yeah. additional question to that. Has, has this, have allied workers ever gone on strike before? Uh, they they have, but not like this. Uh, so there was a um, strike on the cards in Auckland only uh, sometime in the last decade, uh, and that got called off at the last minute because uh, they settled. And there, there have been other strikes, but what we're looking at now is systematic, sustained strike action at a national level for... Um, you know, effectively in to demand a, a watershed pay increase. Watershed, maybe not the right word. You know what I mean? Um, Legendary. A generational pay increase. Yeah. Um, and I think I think one thing that I would say is it's actually devastating to watch these workers come to grips with the fact that they have to go on strike because no healthcare worker wants to go on strike because they they come into this work because they want to help people and walking off the job is uh like you know fundamentally the opposite of why they are in the job but they are starting to realize that this system has been trading on their goodwill yeah. and their willingness to put everyone else but themselves first for years well beyond covid but i think covid has highlighted it and that's why we have been able to do this and exploiting their labor so right now we're in a work to rule strike where they're just working their agreed hours and taking their entitled breaks and that in itself the fact that that in itself is is cause for uh you know disruption yeah, yeah. certain decision makers <laughs> to like lose their shit um hmm. and and insinuate um which and this is this is fucking sick um, to insinuate that like nurses or healthcare workers or whoever um, don't really care about their patients. Yeah, or they're but, being selfish by striking. Or we're being selfish by striking. That's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the other thing is you got to remember is like you still, you, as a healthcare worker, you cannot just walk off the job. You are legally um, like prohibited from not, you have to provide life preserving services. So that's, that's what they call it. And um, that, you know, you can be injuncted, you can be stopped from taking strike action if you're, if you're not going to provide yeah. life preserving services. So actually, one of the issues that health unions have faced is that staffing is so low that they already are always just providing life-preserving yeah, services i know some, some of some of the uh life-preserving services that we've had to negotiate it's like well here are our here, here is our ideal life-preserving services arrangement but we actually have fewer staff regular in employment currently than than that arrangement yeah so we're gonna have to ask you to um agree for no one in this particular site to be able to strike and and that's appalling yeah. Um, but I think we, we're seeing allied health workers voting to strike in unprecedented numbers. We're talking like high 90s voting in favour of striking. And that has never happened before. And I think it is so because awesome. we've been able to use this campaign to show that they have just been uh, systematically exploited and their labour has been exploited for God knows how So what long. happened in the last couple of weeks at led to the, the, these numbers of people voting to strike getting so high and the uh, strike on Monday? 
Well, so it's it's been it's been six months, uh, and um, we're now into our third strike ballot. So one strike got injuncted, one strike went ahead, and we're now into uh, balloting on the third one. Each uh, one of those, uh, well, the first two saw unprecedented turnout. So strike balloting um, is where you put the question to the to yeah, the workforce, me- right? me- members vote whether or not to take strike action, uh, and it's ju- it's just been this. Rolling Stone over six months. Uh, it started slowly, but as more and more uh, allied health professionals became engaged, they started to listen more and more about how bad things were. They started to talk to each other, which is the most important thing, and realized that actually the issues that they had were happening to 9,999 other health workers. Um, and they've seen how the DHBs and the government have responded to what should be extremely reasonable and simple issues and all of these things just accumulate into just this enormous uh pool of uh incredible energy and anger um and uh, at this point if we got an offer tomorrow and uh, took it out to our members to vote on it'd be more difficult to stop them (laughs) striking than it would be to get them to strike and um and I mean, that's been a challenge. At times, I feel like we've got this stone rolling. We're kind of running out in front of it. And if we're not careful, it's going to flatten us. But that actually, that's also what it should good be like. As a union. Have, it's you, a good problem to have. You, when... you should be held to account by your members every single second of every day. And you should be constantly looking over your shoulder um, to make sure that you are um, you're keeping ahead of them and not letting them down you know um i guess yeah this is the hopeful part because there is a revolt happening in the health sector and this Mm. is one of the last bastions of like um unionism and i think it shows you the power of unionism so you know like we know that the private sector is is very ununionized it's been de-unionized um but like if you want to see like what collective action can achieve it's yeah it's it is 10,000 workers coming together to basically fight for our health system and with you know with a kind of clarity of of purpose and like well done in a well-run campaign um because you know as I said this is the invisible hand like labor basically Mm -hmm. the invisibilized uh labor that makes the healthcare system run um but you know um you're seeing nurses doctors um, healthcare workers, care uh, care workers in aged care, allied workers. You're just seeing a revolt in the healthcare sector. With like, and just it's a, it's an amazing thing. It's historic, you know. Um, and and I do believe, and we are going to win because we're organized. And you know, it shows you the power of. It really does show you the power of the collective, right? Um, and, well, a, and also, a country can't do without healthcare workers. Right? Yeah, and, and, unfortunately, they're also essential. And, so, and, well, and I, th- I think the biggest challenge is ensuring that those workers keep the faith, rather than uh, the possibility that we might not win. I, I keep saying to our members, and I said it on the picket on Monday, there are only two ways that this ends. One is if we get the deal, and two is if they give up. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. And I don't think they will give up. I mean, if there's one thing I've learned from uh, healthcare workers, and, you know, I also, it, it's it's nice to have a fellow um, health unionist on board. <laughs> we commiserate. <laughs> it's a very interesting sector to work in right now. I, 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 I had hair when I... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about the various conditions I've developed. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> just one like of the cortisol coming through my veins but anyways um but um you know it's it's i've said this i'll say this i'll say this anytime like healthcare workers are ready for the revolution like they are ready to they are ready to run this shit like they are like so and they yeah they're just they're so passionate as well I'm just like in awe of them really like their dedication like the way that they've kept this health system they've kept us safe they've kept it running in like you know against really huge odds they've and they've been up against it and no one you know and and um you know it, it's a slap in the face and but the fight they fight they have in them is like amazing and inspirational yeah. I think we can all take a lot from it you said um a little earlier on the the recording, Will, that people should read the comments um, <laughs> if if they're doing uh, campaigning work on this, because so many people are out in support of uh, of the campaign. What was Monday like um, on the ground uh, among uh, these striking workers, and what kind of response did you have to the strike action? Uh, Monday was incredible. It was pouring with rain. <laughs> Uh, we, I mean, we hoped for a thousand people in Auckland. We got about eight hundred, and given that it was pouring with rain, uh, that was that was beyond our wildest dreams. I, I was lying awake all night thinking twenty people are going to show up. Um, just the energy and the motivation and the anger that comes from these workers it just just propels you. Um, and we had the roads closed. We marched through Albert Park. Uh, down Wellesley Street onto Queen Street and into Aotea Square and um, you know every car that was on the other side of the road was like honking and people waving and people were taking pictures and and cheering and joining the chants and stuff um, and so it it really feels that you know you're on you're, you're, you're on the right side of history here mm. It feels that people are behind you and it feels that as long as we don't let our members down, they will not give up. And, and uh, you know, we, we can, I could run a campaign like this anytime I wanted. And without that momentum from members, we would get nowhere. So this has only got as far as it has because of them. Uh, and actually, I think the best story I will ever have from this campaign was the day after we got injuncted. Um, because that was, that? that was March 3rd because the strikes were going to be March 4th we, and the injunction came through at 5.30. Um, and at that, at that point, this campaign that had been, was quite you know, a fledgling campaign at that point was shattered and lying in pieces around my feet. Um, and I sent out this text saying, the strikes are off, we've been injuncted, wear orange tomorrow because orange was kind of starting to develop as the color of the campaign kind of organically a bit by accident um and i and i i was just like you know we, we talked about this idea of something we called orange fridays or allied fridays which is when your organizer was going to come on site and it was going to be a time to do like a morning tea or whatever and just talk about the the dispute um but we hadn't got very far with it because of covid so i kind of had that in the back of my mind when i sent out that text but i was like I just need to give them something to do tomorrow. But but we thought it was over. And I, like, I will never forget it. And I get a bit emotional talking about this. Um, when I woke up the next day, thousands and thousands of them had showed up on the day they were supposed to be striking 
they showed up to work wearing orange. They painted their workplaces orange with posters and um, banners and stuff. A lot of them had just completely organically started running pickets outside their workplaces uh, before before they had to start work and then just walked into work in orange with their banners and stuff. And it was like just and, – and that was the point where it kind of turned from a campaign into a movement. Um, and – you know, we, we had kind of got them to a point where we had that organizing done, but they just took that and they did that themselves when I actually thought that everything had just shattered. Uh, and, and I think that is the most incredible display and example of what unionism should do for working people and what, what it should create. And I will never, ever forget that day. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's the kind of detail that, we, we basically just don't hear about, you know, mm. unless we're uh, tapped into like the union comms, um, which I think is happening more and more. Um, you know, those, it is available to hear about, but, you know, a lot of this wasn't really covered um, in big media, you know. In the lame street. We didn't have, like, it's this, it's this huge thing that happened, you know, like with thousands of people doing this and. Yeah. Spontaneously. Not, not a peep, not a peep. <laughs> Um, oh, well, and it's been 12 weeks now, and every Friday since then, they have done that. <laughs> They've just showed incredible. up in Orange. Orange Fridays are now just a thing, and we have... Orange is now the colour of allied health workers forever. Uh, and, we, you know, we, we have kind of targeted some special Fridays where we've put a lot of effort in and run pickets and had lots of people, and the media showed up for that. But actually, they just now do it. They just... Yeah. It's Orange Fridays. <laughs> Um, and that will probably continue after we, whenever we settle this. No, well, how can people support allied workers in this uh, struggle for basically our health system, but also for fair pay, obviously? Yeah, so a, f- a few... They're the same thing. They're the same thing. Exactly. Uh, so a few very easy ways. Uh, number one, we have a petition, um, which... We will about, link to in the uh, episode notes for sure. Yeah, I think it's at about seventeen thousand people at the moment. I haven't I, I haven't looked at it for a while, but we keep trying to get anyone from the government to accept it, and we're not having much luck. So the petition is just growing while they refuse. So that's fine. Um, at the moment, we are also um, asking for donations to our strike fund. Uh, you know, people making less than they make KFC uh, a day uh, a full withdrawal for a day it can be quite damaging for them so I can give you the details of that Yeah. Um, also write to your MPs uh, talk about it use the hashtag we are allied which is the name of our campaign um, we're orange on Fridays all, all of that we just need this to be public we need people to understand who the allied health workforce is are and how important they are to uh new zealand because when they thrive new zealand thrives uh and find out when the pickets are happening and go down and support them absolutely i mean i was um at the picket um on um on monday and it was electric it was awesome to see um as you said so many people out there in the rain ready to kind of shout their lungs out though they needed to be warmed up i find new zealanders aren't that good at um the loud chance um (laughs) we had them in in albert park before we got to aots ground we're like we need to use this to warm them up because new zealanders are exactly like that and um there was this point i don't know if you were in albert park justine or if you 
yeah when, did you see when i like jumped in and was like this isn't fucking loud enough yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's just a funny thing though because like because like you, you you can have a really angry new zealander and they're like oh, i'm pretty miffed actually and it's like <laughs> but it's like that's serious i'm just like okay we're going to take that energy and we're going to run with it. <laughs> I, had, I had to get them to do that chant going from real quiet to real loud like three yep. or four times before they actually <laughs> they started getting up. the volume up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it has My throat felt like someone had cheese grated it. Yeah. And this, is, this is kind of this afternoon was when my voice started going back to normal. Well, I'm sorry for making you talk more. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. We needed, no. we needed him on. Yeah. But I will say like um, if anybody listening to this, like this is why you join. This is why you need to join a union. This mm. is why we need to unionize. This is exactly the you know, and I and I think like this is a good example. So you know, we're talking about the, how the public supports healthcare workers. I have never experienced honestly when I was collecting uh, p- signatures for the petition for nurses' pay, people lined up to sign it. Yeah. Okay, I have never in my life experienced that kind of support for anything. I've I've re- represented a lot of issues. No one has ever lined up. To support those issues this is like popular um you know this is this is the way we need to talk about why um you know when 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 the right talks about government spending we need to talk about um healthcare workers we need to talk, you know people people want their public services people love their public like the public servants who make it run our nurses our teachers um uh and um and we need to remember that like we need to have confidence in that you know um but also join your union no, so, well, and actually, without advocating for um, talking to Tories too much, they <laughs> they just, you know, but, you, you cannot argue against healthcare workers and teachers. Um, well, maybe teachers because they do, don't they? Um, but actually, somehow. if you if you want to build a coalition, then run a campaign around healthcare workers because your coalition will be people you don't even really want to be part of it. But like I like I said before, like this happens because of workers you can unions are stuffed with people who know how to bang a campaign together but a good campaigner is useless without um that groundswell of support and and i mean often the health workers the teachers unions um the public sector unions have been the back like the backbone of any left um or you know progressive movement and we and we have to remember that so um you know this kind of like uprising in the health sector is good and we just need and like the, the rest of us you know if you're a worker in the pub in the private sector there's never been a better time to unionize it's just mm. never been a better time to join a union and um take your life back and and fight for a, you know a better deal for yourself and others just um coming up to time uh but will do you just want to uh quickly give us um what's happening next uh, and what the union and its members are demanding um coming into the next few weeks from the government yeah so this evening uh we released a third strike ballot um i, I don't know too much about the history of health strikes in new zealand but i suspect that this country will not have seen a lot like this before. Uh, so we are, we are looking at now sustained action and a, a permanent state of strike from mid-June to however long it takes. So basically every day from mid-June onwards, there'll be some kind of industrial action happening, uh, whether it's work to rule or withdrawal or whatever. Um, so... I, th- I think it is somewhat unprecedented. It sounds unprecedented. And what our desperate hope is, is that 
the DHBs uh, and the Ministry of Health will see reason and will come back to the table because, um, well, come back to the table with something that's worth considering because what we've had so far isn't worth the data that I used to read on my phone. Uh, because <laughs> our members don't want to do this. It is hard for us to sustain this. And every single day that we go without an offer, our members continue to suffer. And, and the public suffers. And New Zealand suffers while they suffer, yeah. So, you know, we our members are in this for the long haul. They are angry. <laughs> and, and they will go for as long as it takes, as long as we don't let them down. Uh, but no one wants that to happen. We and, and people need to understand that we are in this position and healthcare workers are in this position, not because they want to be, but because... Uh, the Ministry of Health has forced them into it. Before we end, I just want to give a shout out to the dude who had the sign about not being able to afford fried rice. Oh, he's, and, he's incredible, isn't he? <laughs> um, it was the sign was like, pay too little, can't even afford fried rice. My ancestors crying. My ancestors uh, crying. <laughs> crying. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to that dude in particular. I want to talk to Andrew Little and just make a plea. You owe that man so many fried rice meals. I've got his name. He's a dental, uh, he's a dental <laughs> therapist. Let's not we need, to, <laughs> we need to interview him. He needs yeah. to be a star. I love him. Anyway, my my um my fiance saw it because he he posted a picture of that on our internal Facebook page, which now is like approaching a third of our membership, which is oh, just wow. incredible. Um, she saw that sign pop up and she just loved it. And then I saw him in Albert Park and I wanted to get a selfie with him and and I got distracted, but. That's truly next spectacular. Next time, next time, Will. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this evening, Will. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed this, uh, go and follow uh, Will's instructions. Uh, go and help out with, with the strike action. Uh, help out the healthcare uh, workers. Uh, we'll put the petition uh, link in the summary. The strike fund. Yep. And we'll also uh, put the little hashtag in there as well. So... You can share that on social media. Share this uh, on social media as well if you think people should listen to a longer form uh, version of what is happening in the sector at the moment. It can be really helpful to actually hear someone talk to it directly uh, and talk about their experiences on the ground and what is happening to the workers. It can really change people's minds about, about these issues because, you know, as we talked about with um, some of the political slowdown in this area, people can get really caught up in, in what the narrative is and that needs to be broken in some way. So share this around, get involved, join your union. This has been another midweek one of 200 podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism